just want to start with, um, I, I sent this out on the remind to the, to the parents, just if you feel like your child is not ready for this, so you didn't get a chance to have this conversation before today, um, you, you're, you're not trapped. <laughs> you can exit if you need to. Um, just want to let you know that. But, um, you know, this message is a group effort. Um, we've started talking about this about a month or so ago, and it was um, Susan Ellsworth and Eric Haler and um, Tiffany Youngquist and I sat down to kind of, kind of uh, go before the Lord and say, Lord, what, what do you want to say about this? And what is on your heart? This, this is a huge topic, and there are many different veins that you can go down. And, um, and so we were just praying to the Lord, uh, wh- where do you want us to go? Who are we going to be talking to? Who should give the message? You know, all of those things. And so what we did land on, uh, we believe that our audience today, we know most of you are pro-life. Um, we're making that assumption that most of you are pro-life. And, um, but we also wonder, are you wholly pro-life? Which is kind of my little play on words over there, the journey to becoming wholly pro-life. We'll get more into kind of what that means um, but we all know someone who is pro-choice, right? I'm sure that we do. We know somebody who, who um, believes differently than we do. Um, we also really want the target audience to kind of be those who are a little bit on the fence and those who are like, well, maybe I wouldn't. It, this is a personal choice that I personally wouldn't make, but don't want to take that away from someone else. Maybe somebody who just hasn't really thought about it. You know, I'm probably pro-life because I'm a Christian, but I don't really know what that means. Um, Somebody who's apathetic or just ignorant to some of the travesties that go on. So that is more of our audience today, Um, just so that you know. um, We're we're making an assumption about age groups and things like that. You know, this might be more uh, um, younger millennials, late Gen Zers, things like that. I don't know. But anyway, that is our audience but uh, just so that I know who my audience is, you probably need to know who your speaker is. And um, hello, my name is Shelley Hansen. Um, I am the next generation pastor here at New Covenant. And I have been saved and redeemed since 2003. Yeah, amen. Uh, but I have personally had two abortions. The first abortion that I had was in 1994, I was 17 years old. It was coerced by my parents, and it sent me spiraling into self-hatred, self-sabotage, started me on a path of drug addiction to mask the pain. The second abortion that I had was in, uh, I think it was January of 2000, and This one I chose because of the circumstances that I was going through. I just didn't know, didn't know how I could do it. And so, because of my unique circumstances, because of my experiences, uh, I do believe that I have kind of a um, unique perspective on how to come have the conversation. And I want you to know that I'm coming at this with uh, very delicately, 
with lots of empathy, with um, just a whole lot of compassion on all sides of this conversation. And um, I also just want to acknowledge um, the heaviness that's in the room. And I know this is a heavy topic, and I hate this because I have to be honest with you, I lean a lot on humor to get through messages, and this isn't funny. And so um, I'm, I'm at a really, I'm weak right now in my ability to deliver a message. And so just full vulnerability, there's that. Uh, but if you would just engage with me, I'm pretty sure I'm probably going to say something at some point that's going to tweak somebody. I'm sure of it. Just have some grace for me there. But I am going to share more about my story later in the message. going to get just a little bit more in detail. But here's what I want to say to anyone who is in this room that has had an abortion or was the father of a baby that was aborted. I can imagine that the shame and the guilt and the fear of even telling another soul has been haunting you for a really long time. And I want you to know that the Lord wants to bring you out of your shame. He wants to heal you. He wants to restore you. Because I know the weight of the judgment that is felt. I know that very well. But I just know, I just want you to know that you are loved and God wants to heal you. Amen. But this is the big point. No one is unforgivable no matter what you've done. You're not disqualified. You're not tainted goods. You're not less than, not enough, any of those things. There's healing and restoration and forgiveness and all of the things. There's even peace from the Lord. But you are always precious to God. Your value never changes. And that's with anything that we've ever done. All right, so let's get into some statistics here. So in America, one in four women will have an abortion by the age of 45. In Indiana, six women out of 1,000 have had an abortion. That's about one in 166. So the odds of you knowing someone who has had an abortion is really high, especially when you think about the number of women that are in this room. So we want to be aware of that when we have conversations, when we make our Facebook posts, when we do things like that. Because I, I, one of the points that I'm going to get to today is that, is that everyone has value, and we have to be very loving as we share the convictions that are in our hearts. So, oh, can anybody see that? Probably not. I'll read it to you. Okay, so this is a screenshot that came from Planned Parenthood website. So we're going to talk about what is Roe versus Wade, just so that we can have just a little bit of context here. 
So Roe versus Wade is the 1973 Supreme Court decision that established a constitutional right to an abortion. The 2022 Supreme Court decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization overturned Roe, taking away the constitutional right for abortion. So what does it mean for that Roe v. Wade was overturned? The fact that Roe was overturned means that there is no longer federal protection for abortion access, which means states that went to severely that want to severely limit or ban abortion can do so. It is estimated that roughly half of the states will move to ban abortion now that Roe has been overturned. So the Roe v. Wade decision, I just want to make this clear, did not give babies constitutional rights. The Roe v. Wade decision, or, or take away constitutional rights, the Roe v. Wade decision gave a mother the constitutional right to have an abortion. And when it was taken away, what was taken away is my right to have an abortion protected by federal law. That means that it was kicked back to the states. It depends on where you live as far as uh, whether or not abortion is legal and you have access to it. Now, what happened in Indiana? That is the big question. What happened in Indiana when, when, this, when Roe v. Wade was overturned? Did you know that in Indiana, actually in September, we passed a law banning abortions? We did, but it was blocked by a judge uh, because there was a lawsuit that happened. There was a lawsuit that happened. Planned Parenthood came, and, and a judge blocked it a week after it was put in place. So this is a map of – I got this from the Gut, the Gutmaker, Gutmaker Institute. Um, this is a pro-choice organization. These are screenshots that I took from their website, and this tells you how – what happened when Roe v. Wade was overturned? All of those dark red states are the most restrictive for abortions, uh, which means we're like, they're the most um, empathetic towards life. Indiana is not one of them because of the, of the, the, the block that that judge put on. So we, we are restrictive. So in Indiana, um, you can have... Abortion up to 22 weeks still. 22 weeks you can have an abortion in Indiana. It says patients are forced, because again, I got this from a pro-choice um, ad. Patients are forced to make two trips, one for in-person counseling and another at least 18 hours later for the abortion. That is actually super wise right there. That's a really, really great restriction. Um, state Medicaid coverage. Does, uh, Medicaid does not cover abortion in Indiana. So we're getting there in Indiana. I think that's really good. But I just wanted you to be aware of what's happening um, locally for us so that we can know what to do and, and how to um, vote, how to have conversations, things like that. But here's the thing because we're not going to talk about laws today. We're actually going to talk about relationships and how to have relationships, how to have conversations, um, how to think and how to be. So we want to be a people that proclaim what we are for more than we proclaim what we are against, right? We are for life, which, mean, which means that we are pro-mom. We're pro-mom. We're pro-baby. We're pro-family. We don't just want to stop abortions. 
We want to support mothers and their babies. That is part of becoming wholly pro-life, whole. You want to support and help the mother. And we are against the premeditated death of unborn babies. Now, we've been reading Acts. That's part of our reading that we've been doing, right? And, and I love Peter and his boldness because I don't have that kind of boldness, I think, sometimes. But he, he says it like three times in chapter 1, chapter 3, and chapter 4. He's, in his sermons, he's talking to the Jews, and he's, and he's like, you know, Jesus, the one you crucified, the one you were deceived, and you didn't know, and... And But now you should, you know, he's just throwing it up in their face like, yeah, you crucified Jesus and I'm telling you that you're wrong and you need to repent. So sometimes we do have to take a minute and we have to go, hey, this is wrong. This is not okay. And we need to repent. Amen. So that's what we're doing today. But this is, this is what I want to say is that just like those who helped to crucify Jesus, they were deceived, okay? People in the pro-choice movement are under deception. And we, ha- we do. We have to get some boldness like Peter, and we've got to say something. Amen? But we have to remember that the spirit of deception is at work. It's a demonic act, and those who support it are under the influence of a demonic idea. So let's go to Psalms 106. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. And the psalmist, which is probably David, was referring to the Israelites who had turned their backs on God and started worshiping the idols of other nations, joining in their sinful practices of child sacrifice. So on a spiritual level, abortion is demonic, it's deceptive, it absolutely opposes God. The demonic force is the power behind the pro-choice movement, okay? It uses fear and manipulation to deceive its members or to deceive people into thinking that it's compassion, And this is what causes them, that spirit is what causes them to use these uh, terminology, you know, like like fetus or clump of cells when referring to babies. But notice that I said that the spirit behind the movement was demonic. And I didn't say the people who were deceived were demonic. They're just deceived. And I need you to take a minute and make that separation in your mind. Because I think so many times we get caught up in conversations or keyboard wars on Facebook or whatever it is, and we forget that this is a human being that is also valued and loved by God, who deserves compassion and empathy and really kind of deserves to be heard, maybe, Just listen. Because what we do is sometimes we can sense the demonic spirit that's behind it and we get all twisty. Right? We get all twisty. We get all emotional. 
and we get offended at people and we lose the ability to have empathy for real life circumstances and real life problems that they're presenting. Okay, there are real obstacles that women face these days. And abortion is super tempting when there aren't a lot of options. Okay, and when you just instantly throw up the wall and get defensive about it, and you don't really listen to the problem that's being presented or the obstacle that's in the way, then you're going to lose them. Because the obstacle is real. And we are really great problem solvers because we have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. Amen. So we believe that the power behind the pro-choice movement is the Spirit of God, right? We believe that. I believe that. I believe that God wants to see the end of child sacrifice. I believe that with my whole heart. But I think sometimes, even in the pro-life movement, we can begin to get deceived. And we can allow other things to empower our pro-life belief. Like control or manipulation, or offense, judgment. So I, just every, I want everybody to just take a minute and, and just take a little self-inventory and go, ooh, has my pro-life belief been wholly empowered by the Holy Spirit? Or have I mixed in a little judgment and a little bit of a, fear and manipulation myself when I'm communicating with others. Because the average pro-choice person who is under deception, not the movement, not Planned Parenthood, not an organization, but the actual person that's your neighbor that you might have conversation with, that person on an intellectual level you guys actually agree more than you think you do and don't come at me we agree on more than we think we just disagree on the way to solve the problem we disagree on the solution our goals are different in the end but we agree on the problem And again, I think that both sides want to see less abortions. I didn't say Planned Parenthood wanted to see less abortions because they want to make some money, okay? I think people want to see less abortions with positive outcomes. So what is the big point that I want to make today? is that all life, all human life has value. All of it. All of it. Every single person, the abortionist, the person who's had nine abortions, the people protesting on either side, the baby in the womb, you and me, we all have value. Amen? Ephesians 2.10, for we are all God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago.
Psalm 139, 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. We are loved and valued by God. He sees us. He knows us. Even when we don't know him, he is pursuing us. And I believe that most people on both sides of this issue would agree with that. The average everyday person would agree that human life has value and should be protected. And it's important to recognize where we agree and start there. It's easier to have a conversation when you start from a place of agreement because you will be heard. The mother has value. The father has value. The abortionist has value. The protester has value. We all have value because we were created in God's image. But what about this? What about before birth? Do both sides agree that the unborn child in the womb has value? And I actually believe that people in pro-choice do believe the unborn child has value. Again, let me give you some examples because this, show, this shows you where the deception is. Example, if you hear of someone who uses opiates or other drugs while pregnant and the baby is born dependent, and the shock of that, both sides would, are grieving that this baby had that happen to them in the womb, right? There's compassion. They believe that baby was too valuable for, for that to happen, right? When we hear about a pregnant woman getting in a car crash, she's hit by a drunk driver, and the reaction is always so much more shock and sadness when we find out that the unborn baby died, right? Oh my goodness, she was even pregnant. And our law backs this up because that person is charged with a double homicide. And when a friend has a miscarriage, people on both sides, they grieve with that mother. They grieve with her. No pro-choice person is going to look at their friend and say, it was just a clump of cells. Get over yourself. She would never say that to her friend. So they do believe the baby in the womb has value. Now, here's where we differ. Pro-choice believes that the mother has the final authority to decide if that baby has value and gets to live. If the mother wants the baby, the baby lives. If she doesn't want the baby, the baby doesn't have the right to live. They believe the value of the baby is subjective, depending on the mom, the mom's perspective. I want it, I keep it. And that's deception. But do we believe that mothers should have the power to determine their child's value? And is it really valuing the mother to give her the power to end the life of her child? Is that really love?
Psalm 139, 13 and 15. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, can't say that word, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Only the Lord determines value. That's it. It is a it is a objective truth. It's not subjective to anything else. Every everyone has value, even unborn, especially unborn. But the circumstance of the mom, the circumstance of the father, the circumstance of the child's potential poverty level, the circumstance of the child possibly being placed in foster care, the circumstance of the conception, whether it was born in rape or the 11-year-old who was raped by their uncle, you know, those things. The circumstance of the conception does not change the value of the child. It doesn't change. The baby is seen and known by God, and they are currently being knit together in their mother's womb, no matter what the circumstance was of their conception. It doesn't matter. And I'm telling you, the spirit of deception will try to throw in arguments and spin scenarios that bring up lots of really, really strong emotions about this. And they will spin the worst-case scenario of things like 11-year-old getting pregnant or uh, the case of rape or the child is going to be in poverty or it's going to send their, their family into poverty and, and things like that. And, and I would say, first of all, keep a clear head. If this is happening to you and you're having a conversation with somebody, the first thing you need to do is keep a clear head because spinning those scenarios, does it, it brings up a lot of really strong emotion, it makes you go, gosh, what would I do? I don't, maybe it is right for an 11-year-old to have an abortion if she was raped. Maybe I should do that. I don't know. But keep a clear head and listen to the problem that's being presented and listen with empathy and listen to the scenario because it is a real problem and it really needs solved, Okay. Just don't fall for the only solution being abortion, okay? Why would the child get the death penalty for their father's sin? That doesn't make logical sense, right? Why would, why would being alive and poor be worse than dead? That makes no logical sense. Why, when we're spinning the scenario about the 11-year-old, are we not going, wait just a minute here. Why can't we solve the problem that the uncle did this in the first place? Why can't we equip children to speak up when people are hurting them? Why can't that be the solution? Can we back it up just a little bit? Listen, guys, we are better problem solvers than this. Okay, abortion is the easy solution. It's the, it's the quick and easy solution to a problem. But I need you to know that a baby is never a problem. Amen. Amen. I don't care how 
This baby was conceived. A baby is never a problem. Babies are loved and they are made by God and they are wonderful and they're intricately formed and they're just amazing and they should always be celebrated. Always be celebrated. Even when it happens in our teen youth group. Always be, now don't come at me because I'm the purity talk lady. I do, I do preach abstinence to your children. But a baby should always be celebrated. Always. Always, always, always. And I know that the circumstances that are being spun, listen, they're real problems that need real solutions. I I believe that. I have so much compassion for that. I can't imagine how I would handle some of these situations. But we are good problem solvers. We have the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. We can solve these problems with with compassion and empathy and love. Here's my next big point is that we are instructed by Jesus to love our neighbor as ourself. And what does it look like for mother and baby? What does it look like to love our neighbor mom or our neighbor unborn? So let's just read this together, or I'll read it. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Father, excuse me, teacher, What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the, robber, among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So who is your neighbor? Is it the abortionist? Is it the pro-choice protester? Is it the mother? And 
Is it the unborn baby? So what does it mean to take them to the inn and care for them? Because a pro-choice person would say that to be a neighbor to the mother is to take her to an abortion clinic and support abortion laws. Some pro-lifers believe that just stopping access to abortion is enough. It's not my problem that you can't figure out what causes this. People say that. And isn't that just passing them by? So those of us who love God, what does it mean to love the mother as you love yourself? What does it mean to love the unborn baby as you love yourself? And can we do both at the same time? So let me tell you a little bit more about my story. I told you before that the first abortion that I had was, I was 17 years old and coerced by my parents. It was basically, have an abortion or you can't live here. Um, Part of me believed that they were serious, which is why I did it. But the other part of me thought, I wonder if I fight, if they would actually help me. And I know the answer now. I know they would have. Uh, but I, I didn't have the fight in me. That's true. I just laid down. And I, wa- I let everybody tell me that this is the best thing for you. This is the best thing for you. Well, that did not feel true. I had had a dream about my baby before I even knew I was pregnant, actually. It was about a week before I knew I was pregnant, and I had a dream that I was in a hospital room, and I was holding my baby, and I could see her face. I can still see her face today because it's imprinted in my mind. All I could think about was having my baby in my arms. It was, very, it was made very real to me because I got the picture beforehand. I, I could see her picture. But everyone was just trying to protect me from pain in their own way. And, but I knew that this was going to be death to my soul. I knew it would destroy me, and it, and it did. To make matters worse, six years later, as I was going through my divorce, I had another abortion that I chose. So the first abortion, the trauma response that I had was that I remembered every detail and I beat myself up about it every single day. I tortured myself, I, I condemned myself, I punished myself. The trauma response I had to the second one is that I completely blocked it out. I have almost no memory of it. I just know that it happened, still to this day. Don't know who drove me. I don't know how I got there or got home. I don't 
I don't remember it. I just know it happened. The second one was probably worse in different ways. Worse on myself because it was a choice I made rather than being forced. That really solidified to me just how awful I was in my mind. It was full of shame and anger and self-hate. Extreme grief. Deep pain. It was awful. Years, years of this. And the part of this story that is so tragic is that even though I've experienced amazing and enormous amounts of healing through the Lord, the Lord has brought me so much deliverance and healing, this is why I can talk about it and not be sobbing my eyes out. But I still have to fight. Every day I have to fight shame I have to fight self-hatred, and I have to fight feeling like a horrible mother. Because there's this lie that's always telling me that your first attempt at motherhood, you ruined it, and you'll never be able to get it back. But I still feel abandonment rejection and betrayal, and that still shows up in my relationships today because it's such a traumatic thing. Because here's the truth. is that I should have been loved better. I was beaten and bruised on the side of the road and I was picked up and dragged to an abortion clinic. Instead of being surrounded by support and love and encouragement and being told, you can do this. It's not the best circumstance, but you can do this. I believe in you, and I'm going to be here for you. Let me help you succeed. I didn't get that. I got, this will ruin your life. This is the best thing for you. Ironic that this best thing for me is actually what ruined my life. It's true. But what about my babies? Who is fighting for them? My first baby in heaven, her name is Austin Elizabeth. And she would have been born in April of 1995. She would be turning 28 this year. My second baby in heaven is named Joel, and he would have been born in September of 2000. So he would be turning 23 this year. I think of these two very often, and I long to be in heaven with them. And there's this part of me that fears that they're going to be mad at me, even though I logically know that they're not capable of those type of emotions in heaven. <clears throat> but the grief, 
that I feel and the loss that I feel is, um, it's pretty overwhelming. I do want you to know that there is hope, though. (laughs) I feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit through my grief. And I have received tremendous amounts of healing from the Lord. In fact, uh, this is going to be the year, and you guys are going to hold me accountable, but this is going to be the year. Um, Tiffany is going to help me. We're going to do this together. I'm going to write a book about helping women heal from the trauma of abortion to help walk women through their pain. So again, if you've had one, there's hope and forgiveness and redemption and there's peace. He will take this and work it for your good. And I couldn't help but think, Mike, that the word that you had today about having a table in the presence of your enemies, it's like, that's for me. Because the Lord has taken the thing that was meant to destroy me and almost did. He has used it for my good and he has restored my life. And I have amazing children. And he's even given me bonus children. He has turned it for good, and he will do that for you. But it doesn't change the fact that I really do wish that I would have had a good Samaritan in my life that would have picked me up and carried me to wellness, that would have loved me enough to tell me some truth, that I could do it. That my circumstance was temporary, but this decision was permanent. I wish someone would have fought for my baby when the law wouldn't. And when my parents wouldn't, and even when I wouldn't. I wish someone would have said, you're not going to do this, because this is a decision you will regret for the rest of your life. And I really wish that they would have helped me come up with some solutions to the obstacles that I was facing that felt so huge in my mind that made me think that this was the only way. And I know that this is my story, and it's unique to me, and maybe not everybody regrets their abortion. But I will tell you that most women that I have encountered regret it. I've only met one person who does not know God or anything like that, but that does not regret their abortion. One person out of many. I've shared my story on Facebook and things like that before, and so many women have come to me that are in the church, that love God, that, that have abortion in their past, and they regret it. Most studies show that, that the, maybe the first five years women don't regret it, but after, after five years is when the regret sets in. And I can't help but think that it's because they realize that their temporary circumstance yep, wasn't so bad after all, that they realized, oh, wow, I made it through that time. 
And I probably could have done it with a baby too. So I want to have a conversation with those of you, those of you who are kind of like the passive pro-lifers or the one who say like, I wouldn't do it for me. I wouldn't make that personal choice. But I'm not going to stop anyone else from having one. This is a tweet by Abby Johnson. It says, there is nothing more elitist than saying, I wouldn't personally have an abortion, but it's fine for every other woman. So your baby is too valuable to kill, but everyone else's baby is just trash. That is harsh, but thought-provoking. And it's true. Because if you think about it, We love ourselves enough to know that I'm not going to make that personal choice. We love ourselves to know that the abortion would destroy us. Why would we not extend that same love to our friend? And we get confused about what it means to love because our culture tells us that loving people means you stay quiet through any circumstance. You do you, boo. Whatever you think. I'll stay quiet. I'll be here for you. And listen, staying quiet and being there for someone has its place. That's through grief and loss. But when somebody is facing a life-changing decision that could bring so much destruction, that's not the time to stay quiet. That's not when you're quiet. Love is telling someone the truth. Love is not enabling, it is supportive. And those are two different things. So what will your response be? Because the truth of the matter is, and I want the young people to listen to me, Because the truth of the matter is, is that there will probably be a point in time that someone comes to you and says, I'm pregnant, or my girlfriend's pregnant. Very, very high likelihood that that's going to happen. And they're going to look to you for help and advice. And you're going to need to know what to do and what to say. And how to be that good Samaritan. How to pick them up and to help care for them. I made this list and this is not all encompassing. This is just some ideas and this is just some starting places. Just a little bit of advice. How do I love my pregnant and scared neighbor? Start with empathy. Listen. Comfort. Let them be heard, but stay calm because they will be in fear and they will need your peace. The second thing is to help ground them in reality and and affirm your commitment to being present through it. Because this is what's going to happen. Their fear is going to be blowing scenarios up in their mind that are just huge. My dad is going to kill me. You respond with, I'll go with you to tell your dad. I'll be right here with you. My future is ruined. 
Well, you don't really have that kind of power to destroy your future, and neither does a baby, because God determines your future. A baby is a blessing even when the timing isn't your perfect plan. And those are the things that you tell your friends. Be the logical, problem-solving, supportive part of their brain for them. Because they're going to be in fight-or-flight mode. They're going to be in fear. And it's your job to be logical and to, and to help them think. Help them solve the problems that are making abortion attractive. Help them connect to the, to the baby emotionally. It's another thing. And here's the thing. Be there for them. Be there for them when it gets hard. After they've had the baby, you be for, there for them after it's hard. But you're going to be there for them even if they choose abortion. Because at this point, it's still legal. And you can't force somebody. But you be there for them when they experience the regret and the pain. I have personally, because I'm the go-to girl, but I have had someone come to me asking for my counsel about whether or not she should have an abortion. And of course, you know my stance. And I, I spun all the scenarios and I said all the things. And she still chose abortion. And I love her. So what should I do? There's lots of things we can do. There's a lot of things that we can do to be wholly pro-life. And the first thing is repent. We need to repent for being apathetic, for being judgmental, for not having empathy, for being ignorant, for deception and division. All of the things. We need to repent for lumping it all together into one big thing. Because we've got to separate the demonic force from the people. Because you, you will make a difference in having conversations with people. You will not make a difference screaming from Facebook how, you know, whatever. It's the one-on-one -on -one conversations that you're going to make the most impact. Let's say the most impact. It's not that you won't make a difference, but the most impact. Seek healing if you've had an abortion. Do something. Don't just be pro-birth. Be pro-life. You can volunteer or donate at a local pregnancy care center. You can help a single mother who is struggling. You can become a foster parent. You can support a foster parent. You can be a supportive friend that tells the truth. You can have conversations with empathy and love. You can learn more. Because there are a lot of arguments. There's arguments about sentience and, you know, when does life actually begin and all those things. So, so educate yourself. You can follow oh, two of the ones that I follow the most are Ben Shapiro and Abby Johnson. Abby Johnson is the woman who used to run... Uh, Planned Parenthood, 
and personally had two abortions herself, and she made her way out of the abortion industry, and her life has radically changed, and she's one of the largest voices for pro-life today. But vote. And I got to say, I'm just going to say something that is probably just going to get me in trouble, but uh, there is no more important issue than the issue of life. I don't care what it is because every other issue is beneath that because at least they're alive. And listen to the other. Be, be a people who listen, who are problem solvers, who, who, who hear what's, what's happening in the world or, or what's happening and listen and empathize and be a problem solver. But the truth of the matter is, is that I would not have had two abortions if it were not legal. But I encourage you to vote and support laws to help solve real problems. Real problems. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I know this was a heavy topic today, and it's literally like right at 12 o'clock. I'm, I'm a genius. Yeah. But if you're here today and you need some prayer, uh, please come and to the altar team and they will pray for you. If you need me to pray for you, I will pray for you. And um, But I just want to encourage you, you guys, please don't let this be a message I heard and that was really cool. Please Make this something that becomes part of you. Let this stir change in you. Amen? All right, let's stand. All right, Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we thank you for the presence of your Holy Spirit that's here with us. And I ask you, God, to forgive us for our apathy for our judgment, for our ignorance. I thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness. And I ask you, Lord, for the boldness that Peter experienced through the Holy Spirit to begin to speak on this, to share your love and your compassion and your peace with others, God. Lord, give us creative ideas, ideas from heaven on how to solve real problems. I thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy and your wisdom from heaven. God, you are good. You are so, so good. And I just thank you for the gift of life. I thank you for the gift of life and the gift of restoration. And Lord, we just ask that we would leave here never the same, forever changed by your love and your grace and your mercy and your conviction. In Jesus' name, amen.